Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. Our Sacred Story reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And this passage is part of the Sermon on the Mount that starts with the Beatitudes and moves into some of the passages where Jesus says, "Uh, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. And then it moves into some questions about how we pray. And so this is what Jesus says in verses 5 through 8 of Matthew chapter 6. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to God or the divine parent who is in secret. And your divine parent who sees in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your divine parent knows what you need before you ask. We are in the midst of a series called Out of the Box and Outside the Lines. We recognize there are times when God decides that things need to be shaken up or done differently, and therefore, whatever the current system is, it needs to be disrupted. And so, we've been working with a kind of pattern or a flow that we've been seeing, and oftentimes in life, Things can be a little chaotic. We see this at the beginning of all creation, that the Spirit is hovering over the chaos of the waters, and then God brings about a sense of order. So order comes from chaos. And we see this in our own lives, like when we start a new workout order, right? We want to order our lives differently, and it's usually because something's gotten out of whack or out of line, or it's just not the way it should be. We're not as healthy as we want to be, or it's the relationships we're in just aren't the relationships that we want them to be, and we need We're recognizing there's chaos and we need to move in a new direction, bring an order to it. But the problem with order, as beautiful as it can be and as as well as it can work as God intended, humans have a way of wanting to control that order. And when we control the order of things, we tend to make it work for us and not for them. Whoever the us is and whoever the them is, it tends to work for us and not for them. So the systems of our world the economies of our world, whatever it may be, when humans have control over them, 
it tends to benefit one group over the other, and oftentimes at the expense of the other. So we see this most poignantly in the Old Testament in the story of Israel being slaves in Egypt. There was a beautiful order in mind. There was a famine in Egypt, and the people needed food, and Egypt, under the leadership of Joseph, came up with this beautiful way of gaining resources and making sure they had enough, and they were helping supply food for the region, and the tribes of Israel found themselves in Egypt. They were surviving the famine, and everything was working well until the Egyptians and the new Pharaoh decided to use that order to control things for themselves and to then enslave the people of Israel. And so we see how the control that humans want can sometimes be the wrong move. And that's where liberation is needed. Liberation is needed in big systems like we see in Israel leaving Egypt. We see it in systems of economy. We see it in systems of government. We can see the need for uh, liberation in, in religious systems. And we can see need for liberation from the way that we've tried to control things in our own lives. But liberation is its own form of chaos because when we move into liberation, we don't always know what's next. Sometimes there's this kind of limbo space or a liminal space where we don't quite know what the new order is going to look like. And so liberation itself can be a little chaotic. And so today, what I want you to imagine is this idea of prayer. And prayer is a really big idea because prayer could be all types of things. Prayer can be silence. Prayer can be pleading. It can be one word, help. Prayer can be two words, be still. Prayer can be long prayers or long lists of things that we're praying for or things that we're grateful for. Prayer can be on our knees. Prayer can be public. Prayer can be a small group. Prayer can be a number of different things. But prayer is often, prayer is often a disruption. Prayer is often a way of saying the way this is going needs to change. The way this, the where this is headed needs to be altered. I can't continue with it this way anymore. And so prayer is a move towards liberation. It's a move towards something new. Sometimes we're in the midst of a controlling system and prayer is a plead for liberation. Sometimes we're in a sense of chaos or liberation and prayer is a move towards new order. So prayer can be a part of this process in different ways. And so here's a question that I want to offer you. What is the most outlandish, interesting, in a way, out there prayer you ever prayed? Maybe it was something from your childhood. And I'm not talking about big prayers for, for healing, something serious, something like that, because those are, are meaningful, deep prayers. I'm talking like outlandish, like almost silly prayers. Like anyone have a silly prayer that they've prayed at some point? And, and sometimes we pray these things like when we're kids, right? Like, I hope one day, God, that you'll make me as big and strong as Andre the Giant, right? And, you know, five foot nine and three quarters, Jason is not exactly going to end up seven foot four and 380 pounds in wrestling Hulk Hogan. And so you can see the silliness of that prayer. I also, I've shared this maybe once before, but I prayed a prayer one time when I was young that I just wanted to dunk a basketball so bad. I just want to dunk a basketball. And so I prayed this earnest, deep prayer 
that God one day, one day, let me dunk a basketball. Let me be playing in a game. Let me be going down the court and I'm going up for a shot. And then suddenly, wham, I throw down the greatest dunk I could imagine. And it's this beautiful moment where I come down and I raise my arms in the air and I shout to the heavens, God is real and prayers can be answered. I had this image in mind of this beautiful, beautiful moment of an answered prayer. And and there were times in my life where I worked really hard and I could almost touch the rim. I could, I could, I could get up pretty high, even though I wasn't that the tallest person. And man, I thought, man, my, my prayer could be answered. Maybe one day I'm getting kind of close to this. And then you get a little bit older and the knees get a little creakier and you get a little bit sore more quickly. And you kind of go, man, that prayer is really going to have to be a miracle because I don't think that prayer is ever going to happen. And obviously you get a little older and you're like, okay, that prayer was kind of foolish, kind of silly, kind of outlandish, kind of pointless, honestly. Like it doesn't exactly change the world. It's not earth shattering. If suddenly I dunk a basketball, it's not going to truly prove anything to anyone, let alone myself, because clearly I wouldn't be the one getting credit for it. And so it, it was kind of, you know, a silly, foolish prayer. And then I figured out, that I can dunk a basketball because I got a hoop in my my driveway that me and the boys play on all the time, and I just lowered it to about seven feet, so now I can dunk the ball without even jumping. It's amazing. So, is that an answer to prayer? Maybe. Is it evidence of God's existence? Sure. Is it fun? Oh yeah, because I love dunking a basketball. But we all know that prayers are way more serious than that, and that when we pray. When we pray, it, it oftentimes comes from a place where we are truly needing something. More than just a foolish childhood dream of wanting to dunk a basketball, but oftentimes we pray prayers where we truly want God to intervene. We want God to help, and we need that help. And so at the end of this message, at the end of this sermon, I'm not going to resolve things. I'm going to end with a question mark because I don't have the answers to all of this. And here's the thing. It would be really easy to stand here and to tell you that I have all the answers. It'd be really easy to say, I know exactly how this works and how it should happen. But the problem with that is it would be hypocritical because it wouldn't be true. And that's the first part of the verse that we read is that is that Jesus is telling his followers, don't stand and pray in the synagogues or the churches or the religious institutions or at the street corners so that you can be seen by others. And the word hypocrite there is a really interesting word because in the Greek, it, it, it literally means to be one wearing a mask and to be presenting yourself to people falsely. It was actually what a stage actor was like in the first century. Because in the first century Greek culture, when you would go to the towns and someone were to be doing a stage production, they'd be wearing these masks and they would be, they'd be pretending to be someone they're not. So they're pretending to be a character. And that's a normal thing. That's what an actor does. But we shouldn't act when we're praying. We shouldn't put on a, a mask when we are in community with others. We shouldn't we shouldn't put on a false presentation of who we are with other people. We need to be ourselves. We need to be 
who we are. To be someone else is to be hypocritical. It's to not be accurate. It's not to be honest with who we are. So when we pray, be honest. Be honest with what's going on. And oftentimes the hardest place to be honest is in front of people, which is probably why Jesus instructs his followers and instructs us to oftentimes start in the secret place or in the quiet place or where you are alone with God, that that this isn't about you showcasing how spiritual you are or how dynamic your prayers are, but instead this is an opportunity for you to connect and to talk with the divine, to talk to God about what you're going through, to take off whatever mask you often wear in society and in relationships where you don't feel safe, and to just be your authentic self, to show up authentically. And then ideally, that way of relating with God, that authentic relationship you have in prayer with God can move you to authentic prayer with others, authentic relationship. I was talking to a friend recently this week and was sharing uh, with them something that Brene Brown writes about in her book, Daring Greatly, where she writes in her book that vulnerability, the ability to share what's really going on and to to expose ourselves to someone else in a in a vulnerable emotional way to share what we're going through it feels like weakness to us whenever i think about sharing what i'm going through a struggle that i'm having painful experience that i'm having you know whenever i think of of sharing a failure with someone it feels like i'm about to say something very weak and i don't want to do it but that's because i'm looking at it from my vantage point, because if I were to flip it around and look at it from the vantage point of the other, that person sees my vulnerability as courage. Because I know that when people have shared stuff with me, when they've been honest with me, when they've been open and vulnerable with me, I've never once looked at them and thought, man, wow, that is just a, an expression of weakness to be that vulnerable and that honest about what you're going through. No, I've always seen that as courageous, as brave, as willing to put themselves out there and to trust someone else with what they're going through. And so being vulnerable looks and feels like weakness in our own eyes, but is actually courageous in the eyes of another. And so what prayer can do when we are honest and we take off that mask, when we decide not to be a hypocrite, when we are praying in the quiet place with God, is that not only does it allow us to have that authentic relationship with God, but then it can be a model for us to be in healthy relationship to take off the mask, and to be vulnerable with others. And so prayer is this interruption to the way that we normally operate, where we try to put our best foot forward. And sometimes putting our best foot forward is exactly what we need to do. And, it's, and, it's, and sometimes it's exactly who we are. We're just, we're in the moment, we're, we're, our, we're at our best. But sometimes, let's be honest, we don't feel that way. And yet we put on the mask, or we take the Instagram picture, or we post something on Facebook, but it's not really telling the story of who we are. And that doesn't mean that we should flood the internet and Instagram and Facebook and all the other social media platforms with all the baggage of our day, because let's be honest, that is not the safest place to be fully vulnerable. But, but when we have those close relationships, when we have times of prayer, we need to be honest. We need to be vulnerable and take off that mask. It's really important for our relationships to do that. The second thing that Jesus cautions us about is being careful with 
the empty words or phrases. So one of the things that's happening at the time in the first century is you have a group of people that are living in Israel. We have this these, these people that believe in this spiritual path of relationship with the living presence and, and God being with them. And, and yet they are been dominated by a, by the Roman citizens, by, by the, they've been dominated by the Roman empire. But before the Roman empire took over, they had about 300 years or so of being dominated by the Greeks, starting with Alexander the Great, and then moving into some of his generals, Antiochus Epiphanes, and so on and so forth. And so there was a number of years of this Greek domination. And the goal of Alexander the Great was to make everything Greek. It's called Hellenization. And so the goal was for Greek language to be the language used. That's where we get the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. That's where we get all these practices and ways of relating, ways of governing are coming from Greek influence and Greek philosophy. And they are trickling down into the people of Israel. And one of the religious practices of the Greek culture was to have these phrases and these these words and these ways of praying and repetition to try to get the God's attention. And so you would see people say the same thing over and over and over again, trying to get the gods to show up and trying to get the gods to do what they wanted them to do. And so the people of Israel were seeing this happen, and that was starting to matriculate into their practice. And Jesus comes along and is like, y'all don't need to do that. Now, I don't know why Jesus would say y'all, like he's from Georgia, but I think that he might in this instance, he might say, y'all don't need to do that because God just wants you to talk. God just wants you to show up. God just wants you to be present in your prayer. There aren't fancy words. There aren't certain ways of saying things that get God's attention and don't get God's attention. You just need to commune. You just need to be present. You just need to talk to God because in its simplest, most beautiful form, that's what prayer is. Just talking to God and listening. Listening to God and talking to God. Just being with God. That's what prayer is all about. Now, in the Christian religious world that we often find ourselves in, some of the denominational splits that we have, the ways that people have decided to try to control the narrative of what Christianity is and what Christianity isn't, is around how we pray. And some groups have certain ways of praying where this idea of repetition and certain words and certain emotion and excitement is exactly what's um, required of a dynamic prayer life. Now, here's the thing. I've been in those settings. I've been around those denominations. I've been around that environment where certain types of prayer are emphasized or highlighted more than others or are appreciated more than others. And, and part of it is beautiful. Part of it is dynamic. Part of it is so awesome. Like, I have seen people pray, and I wouldn't even call it praying. I call it pray praying. Like they are pray praying. They are doing something where they are preach praying. Like it is, it is actually beautiful and amazing to watch. But the problem is that sometimes it gets put on a pedestal as if that's the only way to pray. Or that if you want to be like us or in our group, you need to be able to pray like that. And when we start to put the parameters on the small things like how we pray, as reasons for being a part of community, we've lost grace. We've lost inclusion. We've lost hospitality. 
We've lost the sense of belonging and love that the gospel and what Jesus talk about so much. And so we can't put parameters on prayer as if there's only one way to do it. There's many ways to do this. And so we need to see the beauty of different styles and modalities of prayer and not use prayer as a way of differentiating between who's a part of us and who's not, because it could be very easy to do that. The final thing that I want to talk about before we go is this, and it kind of gets back to the idea of praying to dunk a basketball, um, but taken a whole lot more seriously. Because there are verses in the Bible, and I'm going to highlight one of them, that lead us to believe that prayers are always answered, and that there might be something wrong with us if our prayers are not answered. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 11, 23. He says, Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you will say will come to pass, it will be done for you. It will be done for you. Seems to say, seems in this passage, if we just take this verse, the singular verse, Jesus seems to be saying to us that we could tell a mountain to go throw itself into the sea if we don't have any doubts and it's what we want to see happen, then it will be done. Now, I haven't ever prayed for that to happen. I've never tried to see that happen. But I have prayed for people to be healed from diseases. I have prayed for people to be able to have justice and to see things come to pass that don't seem likely, but man, it seems like God would want a certain thing to happen. And I can pray earnestly earnestly, without a shadow of doubt, and want to trust that it will come to pass. And it doesn't. And so I question this verse. But the problem is that some people don't question this verse, but instead they question themselves. Because there's this caveat in there, if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe, then it will come to pass. Then it will be done for you. And so sometimes when something doesn't go the way we want it to go, when someone isn't healed, when someone doesn't have the justice that we so desperately want them to have, then we start to look at ourselves and say, but did I have any doubts? Did I doubt in my heart that that's what should happen? Did I somehow not want that for that person or for that circumstance? And that mentality, that idea, can cause people so much relational, cognitive, and spiritual and emotional anguish that it can actually lead to some physical anguish and physical limitations that we become so disheartened that people can lose their faith because they feel like it's their fault that someone passes away or that an, an injustice isn't righted. I would love to offer a different way of looking at this verse. I think that there could be something else going on. Now, I'm saying could and maybe on purpose because I don't always know. I don't have the perfect interpretation, the perfect theology. I just have the best that I can offer 
in this moment. And I am open to other ideas and interpretations and people saying, I think you're wrong. And that is fine. I would love to have that conversation. Please send me an email if you do. But here is an alternative way of understanding that because I don't think it's that we have doubts. Now, maybe we do at times, and that's totally understandable. But here's another way of understanding what Jesus may be getting at. Because right before this, Jesus has just cleared the temple. People are taking advantage of the marginalized and the oppressed. People are taking advantage of the poor in the temple. They are, they are charging them for their sacrifice. They're forcing them to pay for their sacrifices in an unhealthy and unjust way. There's an injustice going on in the temple. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And instead, as Jesus says, it's being turned into a den of thieves. And so what we see is Jesus goes into the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers and he he chases them out and he blocks the way for people coming and going, trying to do commerce, trying to buy and sell things in the temple. Now, the temple was this place where God was supposed to be dwelling on earth, that God's presence was manifest, where the Holy of Holies was located. And this was the most sacred place on earth. And instead, people were buying and selling and taking advantage of the poor. And it was becoming this awful place of religious and political and societal power over people. And Jesus comes in and says, not on my watch. This isn't happening anymore. And in some ways, you could see Jesus being like, "Uh uh-uh, this mountain in the way of true, healthy, dynamic, loving, just religion, just relationship with the divine is done with. All this way of taking advantage of the oppressed, this mountain that's in our way of relationship is over and I'm throwing it into the sea. And if you believe, if you think, if you don't have any doubt that this way of doing things needs to be tossed into the sea, then get on board with it because God is up to something. God is about bringing about justice and love and grace and it will be done. Maybe not in our lifetime, maybe not in this moment, but that's what God is up to. And it's going to take effort. And you can't waver from the path of justice. You can't waver from the path of love. You can't waver from the path of grace. So maybe Jesus is saying, get on board with justice because we got to throw these mountains, these systems of oppression, these ways of relating, these ways of taking advantage of the poor, these ways of keeping the marginalized down so that the rich stay rich and the poor stay poor. We got to throw these mountains into the scene. If you think that can happen, if you truly believe to the bottom of your heart, if it's deep within your bones that that's the way it should be, then join with me and let's do this because it will come to pass. It will be done. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying. Some scholars even think that Jesus was looking at a mountain that Herod, the king of the Jews, was building. It's called the Herodium, that he was actually building a mountain to honor himself, a mountain to showcase his greatness. Herod is the leader of the Jewish people. He's the the person responsible for the political might of the Jewish people in league with Rome. He is in league with Rome, and he is marginalizing and oppressing his own people, and they are using religion to do it. And so when Jesus says, see that mountain, that monument to the king of the Jews who's taking advantage of you politically, he's using the religious system to dominate you, he's controlling all of society and politics and religion, guess what? That mountain, 
that way of doing things needs to be thrown into the sea. Maybe Jesus said that a mountain needs to be thrown into the sea because there was a literal mountain as a shrine to Herod that needed to be tossed into the sea and say, nah, that is not how we do community. That is not how we do religion. That is not how we do life with each other. That is not how we do politics. That is not how we do it. We need a new system. We need liberation from this mess. And so if you want to pray, pray for it and move towards it, then it will be done. Maybe that's the invitation. Maybe that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Because I think there's kind of two questions that we could have at the end of the day. Does prayer change God or change the future? Does prayer change the way God engages the world? Is that what my prayers can do? Can my prayers change God? Can my prayers change the way the future will unfold? Maybe. And here's the honest truth. I don't know. But I do know that I'm going to keep praying like it is. I will keep praying for healing for people. I will keep praying for relationships to be righted. I will keep praying for justice to come, even if it takes a miracle change of heart in someone that we would never imagine having a change of heart. I will keep praying that the future can be changed when every sign, every indication says otherwise. I will pray that God will miraculously intervene in the hearts and minds of the powerful to say, "Uh uh-uh, this isn't the way we do it. I will pray that people have a change of heart and that futures can be different. I will pray that diseases miraculously goes away, that when a doctor looks at at an MRI, that there is no evidence of anything anymore. I will pray that futures can be changed and that God can intervene. But the other thing that we need to ask is, does prayer change me? Do my prayers change how I engage the circumstances of my life? Because Sometimes, as we know, the prayer that the future will change, the way we want it to change, the way we think it should change, doesn't happen. And so, maybe my prayers change me. And maybe I need to be open to that as well. Maybe I need to be open to the idea that my heart can be softened, my heart cannot be hard, that my my that my understanding of things, though what I thought was once clear and maybe is murky now, that I will one day come to understand, or that I will still be a person of faith and trust and love and grace, even if I never understand. Maybe prayer can change my heart, my mind, my soul to be a person of grace in the midst of confusion, in the midst of not understanding. Maybe prayer changes me. And so, how does prayer work? I told you before, I don't know. And that's where I'm going to leave you. I don't know how prayer works. But what I do know is that Christ is asking us to quiet our hearts and our minds and to get into a secret place and to pray. Sometimes that looks like an organized list of things that we're grateful for and things that we want God to intervene on and we want it to be organized and clear and write it down and journal about it and that's wonderful and beautiful. Sometimes it's just a time of solitude. Sometimes it's just a random prayer of desperation. Whatever it may be, 
Take off the mask. Be your vulnerable self with the divine. And then take that vulnerable self into beautiful, loving relationships, trusted relationships where you can show up as your authentic self and let people in. Don't put on the mask. And then don't pretend like you have the greatest way of prayer and then make everyone pray like you. No, don't do that. Just be authentic. Be yourself. Be a person of prayer. And then may your prayers be about justice. May your prayers be about changing the systems of our world. May your prayers be about ways of relating to one another that bring about wholeness and peace. May you pray that the future is changed and work towards it. May you pray that things could be different and then move in that direction yourself. And then if you don't see the reality of that movement, if you don't see that justice come, if you don't see the relationships healed, if you don't see the healing, then pray that your heart can be changed. Pray that your sense of grace and faith don't leave you. They don't leave you. Because God is still with us, even when the prayers aren't answered the way we want. God is not gone. God is present in the hardest of circumstances. God is present on the cross as well as the resurrection. Let's pray. God of prayer, may we talk to you. May you listen. May we listen. God of prayer, Help us to be vulnerable with you and with others. Help us to be authentic. Help us to be real. Help us to not use prayer as a weapon about who's in and who's out. God, help us to see prayer as a move towards justice and love and grace and wholeness. God, help us to join with you in that effort to see justice come. And God, in all of the ways that the future seems to be unfolding in an unhealthy way. We pray for your intervention. We pray that things will be different. We pray that your spirit will change hearts and minds. We pray that miracles happen. And we pray that our hearts will be open and loving and kind and full of grace, even when things don't go the way we think they should. May we be people of prayer. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, Peace the podcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.